0: Welcome on in, 97.5, 12.80, The Zone. Thanks for joining us on this Tuesday, the day after Memorial Day. I'm PK. Going to get ready to have this week started. How'd you do yesterday? What did you do yesterday? Do you enjoy your time off? That was a great great day, wasn't it? I had the opportunity to go with my wife and a friend down to Talons Cove where we did some golfing, and it was great down there, Talons Cove, Utah County on the other side of the lake, right on the lake. Several holes right there. Every hole has a lake view. And it was spectacular. So you look east, you got the lake right there in the foreground, in the background. You got the mountains with the snow caps. And it was just sensational. No wind. Plus, I played well. Yeah, with a couple of gimmies, I think, out I of 79. Had no doubles. That's my goal. My goal is to have no doubles. Missed several birdie putts. Could have had a better score. But certainly, it was a lot of fun to get out there and play some golf at Talons Cove. Looking forward to maybe some sports starting up here soon. They're talking about practices resuming for the colleges. I'm excited about that. And then, of course, college football starting. I think it'll start. I don't know if it'll start on time, but I think we'll have a season. NFL football. NFL football talking about starting it on time. I think I'll have some fans in the stands. I think a lot of people are ready to go. I'll let you decide what is right for you. I'm ready to go. I'm gonna practice my social distancing, of course, but I'm also looking to do more and more, get this economy going here, man. I'm not gonna get too political, I'm not political. I've made my stances known, I'm not political at all, don't belong to any political party, and not really sure I trust anybody in the political realm. But I do know that I wanna see this economy going, I wanna see people get back to work. Summer's here, I wanna see people enjoy their lives within the reason and the boundaries that are, have been set. At least that's what I'm doing. You can decide what you want to do. Hey, did you hear about the NBA? Yeah, obviously they're uh, going to get together at some point. Charles Barkley saying TNT has told him that they'll, he's 100% sure there'll be a season. Now we'll see what happens. How will they have that season? Let all 16 teams go into the playoffs, the eight from each conference. Or maybe let everybody, all 30, go in and have some kind of round robin. That'll be a lot of fun. Looking forward to however they figure that out. And then baseball. Baseball's got to get its act together this week. I hope they don't screw it up. I hope it's not too money-hungry and they don't have a season. If they don't, shame on them. But, you know, I understand what they're trying to do here. And if players don't want to play, don't play. Those who do want to play, let them play. I watch the Korean League sometimes on the weekends. Can't watch it during the weeknights. Got to go to bed. But I have watched it a couple times on the weekend. It's real baseball. Good to have it back. Obviously, the big news of the week, last week, was the passing of Jerry Sloan, the legend Jerry Sloan, big-time legend. I was so impressed with all of the tributes that were paid to Jerry Sloan. You see Alex, Alex English? played for the Nuggets, and then at the end, he played for Dallas. I don't even remember him playing for Dallas, but he put on Twitter, I think it was, that he said, one of his great regrets is not signing with the Jazz for an opportunity to play with Jerry Sloan. What more could you ask for? Paul Millsap, C.J. Miles, a bunch of former players. Darren Williams, of course, putting out tributes. Scotty Piven. I mean, they have a connection. you know. Jerry Sloan is the original Bull. Number retired from the state. So, state of Illinois. Really great, great stuff. And we're going to have some interviews. Replace some of the interviews that we did for those uh, people because the news didn't come down until about the middle of the show. So, we didn't get the whole show. Everybody else did. The other shows, the other two shows on The Zone did on Friday. We'll still hit some stuff on Jerry Sloan today. But right now, we are going to take a break. And then when we come back, we're going to let you hear from Mark Eaton. Stay with us, 97.5, 1280
1: The Zone. Take The Zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of The Zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Welcome
0: on in. Thanks for joining us on this Tuesday. Going to let you hear from Mark Eaton, former Jazz Center, who came on with us and paid tribute to his coach, Jerry Sloan. Here's Mark Eaton. DJ, PK and Mark Eaton joining
2: us now. Jerry Sloan passing away at the age of 78 and Mark played for him for a long time and has a lot of great memories. Mark, thanks for checking in with us this morning. We appreciate it. Not the best time or the best circumstances, but we certainly appreciate it.
3: Uh, You're welcome. No, it's not, but... um... You know, he was battling with his body for a long time, and so as sad as I am to see him go, I'm also happy that he's that he's free and back to who he was.
0: Where do you start, Mark? I don't know where you start, but try it.
3: Um, you know, I, I think that um, the, the what I loved about Coach was uh, just his consistency, his commitment to doing it the right way, his integrity in the locker room and on the court, and, um, and and I think that he made a lot of players better. I think he helped a lot of guys along the way with his uh, toughness and um, and what I always appreciated about him was that you every day you came to work, it was exactly the same thing. As you guys well know, his his post game press conferences sounded like reruns each day. <laughs> um, but um, but great coaches have simple executable philosophies and and that's how Jerry was and um you were either with the program or you weren't but he wasn't changing and i think that's what endeared him to other coaches and to the end of the you know the league and the industry as in general was a fact that he he stuck to his principles um the management and the ownership got behind him uh and together created some amazing results and um and at the same time, you know, when you got done with the game and you went out and had a beer afterwards to sit and chat with him and really be friends with him um, is a pretty rare thing in a leader. And uh, uh, and so I think that's what I really appreciated about him the most. Uh, and he was a, a real guy. Um, you know, he's the kind of guy I could say, Coach, I'm building a fence today. Can you come help me dig some post holes? Oh, yeah, sure, I'll be there. Uh, I mean, that's just um, – you know that uh, that down-home philosophy, and if you want to really look at his, his background, go back and look at his the the Hall of Fame acceptance speech he did, and Dave Smith a few years ago, and um, I think that really hits home to how he grew up and the in the difficulties he had, you know, in, in being a you know from a kind of a dirt poor farming community, and, and um, he just he never changed, he never wavered, and I think that's what I, I remember most
2: being there for that speech i remember how much uh how much the room just settled down and quieted down and locked in on him trying to figure out who this guy was and his backstory it was one thing to hear it i've never been to mcleansboro did you ever have a reason to go there and then go outside of town where the farm actually was where he grew up
3: yeah i've been there um it's a small little farming community community a couple hours from st louis and southern illinois and um you know, you could just see where I grew up. I mean, it's soybean farmers and, and bean farmers, and and it's the kind of place where, you, you know, you get up in the morning and go down to the diner, and there's just the farmers are hanging out there and, and talking about their crops and the weather and everything else. It's just, uh, it was a real, uh, you know, I mean, eye-opening experience for me to see really what it was like back there, and, and uh, but also really helped you understand the fabric of, of who he was, even if you here in Salt Lake City or elsewhere didn't really understand it or kind of wonder like what's this guy talking about when you go back there and see where he's from and meet the people that you know the friends he had for 50, 60 years, um, <clears throat> it's just um, it's you know it's the, it's the you know the heartland of America.
0: You talk about together with management created some incredible results and obviously that management starts uh, with Larry Miller and Mm -hmm. can you describe how those two were so alike in many ways
3: yeah both incredibly driven um and and both you know could get get excited about stuff and and upset about stuff and um you know we were were they never held back they always told you how it was and how they saw it and you like it or not but that's how it was going to be and i think that's why they got along well together i i think they butted heads up from time to time but i think larry really appreciated the intensity and that and the, and again that integrity on the court that that jerry brought to the game every day he was so intense he worked so hard uh, and drove his team to get everything he could out of them, and I think that's, what, that's why I think Larry stuck with him because, um, you know, as you know in pro sports, it's the easiest guy to replace is the coach, right? And yeah. um, so, uh, and, and Jerry was always cognizant of that, uh, and, and Larry, I think, went the extra mile to say, we're here with you, Jerry, we got you. He knew he wasn't going to find a better coach, Um, and that Jerry was the man for the job, and that's why he stuck with him so many years and and really in an unprecedented fashion in all of pro sports. If I recall, when he retired, he was the longest tenured coach in professional sports, Um, and, and it was largely due in part, which Jerry always gave a lot of credit to, to the ownership of the team.
2: So Jerry clearly wore well on a lot of people because of the long association obviously with uh, Larry Miller and then the long association with John and Carl and he people saw the combative competitive side during games when he'd be hollering about whatever at a player or a ref but can you share some more stories about how Low key and genuine he was away, and what a nice guy he could be away from all of that. Because you can't have these long relationships if you're, you know, just banging your head against the wall all the time and hollering at everybody.
3: Yeah, I, I think that that's that again was one of his his great traits was that ability to just keep it real. And he demanded a lot, he expected a lot, but when the game was over. Um, he was happy to go, you know, fishing or go have a beer or go to dinner or uh, whatever it was and, and just be your best friend. And I know he went on, you know, hunting trips with Carl and he'd go up and see John and, uh, and vice versa. And, you know, I've been on a few trips with him here or there. And um, it's just, um, he's he just that kind of down-home guy. And he'd talk to anybody. And, uh, you know, I remember the old stories the, from the, when he first came to town. He, he had this uh, white van and he'd, he on days off, he would just drive around the countryside looking for old cars or old tractors or things like that. I mean, that's just who he was. And he had no problem pulling over to a guy's house and saying, hey, you know, can I talk to you about that tractor there? You know, that's an international, whatever, 1958, blah, 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 blah. And um, striking up a conversation and, and um, you know, with his John Deere hat on. And, and <laughs> that's, just, that's just who he was. And uh, that's, that's, what, that's what we all loved about him
0: yeah how crazy is that Mark? Here was a big time celebrity who obviously didn 't view himself as anything but or anything such i should say
3: no he didn 't he never he never uh you know forgot his roots or who he was and um, and I think that 's what endeared him to everybody because with all the other stuff that goes on in pro sports and media and everything else and all the crazy stories that are out there here here was one guy that was like terra firma right? One guy you could count on you knew what he was going to say, you knew what he was about and you could get behind that and I think that's what endeared him to, uh, to the fans and to the guys that played for him
2: He didn't like to complain a lot what was the stuff that really wore him out though?
3: What wore him out is people doing their own things or thinking that they knew something smarter than or better than he did out on the court and uh you know breaking off plays and taking taking shots that he didn't like and, and you know or getting lazy on defense i used to drive him crazy I used to remember once I watched them sitting in the in the um in the film room and they would uh, and when, when a play broke down and the team took off the other end, they wanted to at least see that effort. I can always remember him saying, like, get in the frame, get in the frame, get in the frame. He wanted to see guys running back and at least making an attempt to stop the ball uh, because that to him showed effort. And so, the, you know, if you played defense and you could and you were willing to go in there and fight and battle for a rebound and, and, and get a little dirty out on the court, he loved that. If you tried to... You know, play basketball, as it's said, in a tuxedo, he had no you know, he had no, no, time for you. And, um, uh, and so if you understood that and were willing to take that on, great. And you got along famously. Um, but he was looking for guys who were willing to work.
0: Okay, Mark, when you say playing in a tuxedo, you just took me back 25, 30 years. Because that, that's right out of his mouth, isn't it?
3: well I, it's, I've heard it from a variety of coaches over time but yeah I mean that's it's it's right out of his philosophy of like you know there's some guys out there that want to play and just shoot the ball and never get touched <clears throat> and um, as we've seen most recently from the last dance that's not how 80s basketball was played um, you know you had to be willing to grovel and go after guys and, and uh, adhere to the philosophy of no layups and um, Jordan rules and all those kinds of things and uh, and so, uh, you, you know, if you if you thought you were the pretty guy out there and not gonna, no one was gonna mess with you, and no one was gonna touch you, yeah, you know, it wasn't gonna work. Uh, that your your place would probably be better on another team where guys just shoot and run up and down the court and play summer league basketball.
2: <laughs> <laughs> okay, tuxedo's a good line. Get sideways. How many times did you hear him say that one? Get sideways. Get sideways. Yeah. That's a classic. Well.
3: Yeah. Well, you know, there were certain positions um, where you were just, you know, he he was just adamant that you stayed and focused on your own man. When when Phil Johnson was the assistant coach before uh, Jerry's arrival, uh, and even and even while before Jerry became the head coach, uh, you know, we we played more of a switching style defense and a rotational style defense. And when Jerry became the coach, he said, nope, we're playing one-on-one defense. You are responsible for your man. And um, I was actually talking to Bobby Hansen yesterday about this, um, that, that it was so tough on him being a two-guard because that was Jerry's position. And when he's guarding Clyde Drexler or something and, and we're practicing and he's showing Bobby how to get over the top of the pick, you know, to, to put your hand through and get sideways and, and get through that pick. Um, you know they would come to blows, you know, frequently or almost to blows frequently because uh, because Jerry had a certain way to do it. And he was so intense about it, and if you didn't do it that way, man, you're gonna have a problem.
0: How was he able to get so much out of everybody? It didn't matter if you were an end of the bench guy to two Hall of Famers.
3: Because he took the time to get to know the players. He, he wasn't a coach that just showed up and said, "Okay, we're practice starts now. Okay, practice is over. See you guys tomorrow." Uh, he cared about guys, and the the fact that he was willing to, you know, go to dinner after a game or have a beer after the game and sit and chat with guys, and he had that open door policy. I think that was, uh, you know, that was what uh, guys respected because he knew players knew that he cared about them and cared about them as people, and. You know, he'd say hi to your family when they came in from out of town or whatever it might be, and he cared about your kids and everything else. And I think that's, I think that's what really uh, set him uh, set him apart. Because there's a lot of coaches. You're talking other players that played for other NBA coaches, and they're like, "Yeah, hey, it was just business, you know. Like, uh, okay, the bus is at three. Da, da da da. You know, show up and play, and then at the end of the year, we'll evaluate and see how you did." He was actively involved in the lives of guys that that um, that played for him, and, and I think players respect that because it was having a mentor and having a coach that, that, that really cared. He demanded a lot, yeah, but he still cared about you. And that's a, a fine balance, and very few leaders can do it. Um, but he, he navigated that very successfully.
2: You know, he took the job at Evansville, and then after five days, he quit and walked away from it at his alma mater. And a few weeks later, the plane crash kills the entire team and coaching staff. And he'd talk about it occasionally, but not a lot. It seemed like it left a huge mark on him and you kind of how he spent the time and, you know, how he worked on relationships. Did he ever talk to you about that a lot, or was that something that was off limits?
3: no i i i know that that it did affect him deeply and just like you guys you would say something occasionally about it but i never i never went there with him uh i know it was a traumatic thing and and uh uh and i think it maybe reset his purpose or reset his outlook of how he um how he felt fortunate and um and also, I think, doubled down on his humility of who he was uh, and, and maybe gave him a, a different appreciation as an event like that would for life. Um, but um, I, I never really uh, got into that with him. You
0: know, I found amazing, as the years have gone by, players who have maybe had some, well, tough times, I don't want to say altercations, but, you know, maybe didn't get along, and the Darren Williams one is obvious. It seems like all these guys have come out, and to, to an extent, uh, basically apologized and said, you know, almost like a parent. Okay, when I became a parent, then I learned what my parents were trying to do as they taught me. And I've seen that from players as they've gone on and grown up and, and left the game and all that. And, and to me, and I want to get your thought on it, it says a lot about what they think of Jerry Sloan that years later they were able to reflect on it and do it positively.
3: Yeah, I think that's that's very true, and, um, you know, you have a tendency when you're an athlete, I mean, sometimes life in general, so your ego gets the best of you, right, and you think you are the hot stuff when you show up here and ready to play and no coach is going to tell me something, and maybe that's a result of other coaches or other teams you played on uh, that you think it's just going to be, uh, you know, the same here, and and Jerry challenges you, and you don't like it. And then you end up parting ways, then years later, yeah, you do you, you have a recognition, like you say, you get in some other situation or being a parent, whatever it is, and you say, Wow, you know, Jerry had some, some pretty good philosophies about life and probably something I should pay attention to and wow, I really appreciate it much more now than I did when I was actually a player and I and I think we we definitely saw that in the in the case of D. Will, uh, you know, his willingness to come back and try and make amends with Coach and um uh, so you know, again, it's just a, it's just that endearing quality about him that, uh, as tough as he was, you know, you if you followed what he did, the results would be positive.
2: You know, a lot of fans love to hear from uh, you know John and Carl because they're so you know they're so linked. But uh, I know those guys the last couple of days have stayed away from requests on any reflections or thoughts or anything. Um, can you talk a little bit about? How hard it is on those guys because they're, they're staying quiet for a reason.
3: Well, I mean, a good portion of their adult life spent with Jerry. And, and um, you know, obviously, I mean, you know, Carl played, oh, what, 18 years for the Jazz, and I think well, John probably the same or seven. I can't remember exactly how many years it is. It was forever. Um, I played with those guys for like nine years, and they still played another 10 years after that. Uh, so they spent a good portion of their life with that with that man and and its family I mean you're together seven days a week for seven months uh, a year and uh, or longer depending on the playoffs and uh, you get to know each other uh, and uh, so I know it's been very difficult on them and I know they both had the opportunity to, to, to see him in the last few weeks um, but uh, you know I can't, I can't imagine what it's like for those guys because they you know they had a whole even deeper relationship than i did with coach just just from the sheer fact that they spent 10 more years together on a daily basis
0: he really set the foundation for this jazz franchise if the jazz franchise is around for 100 more years whatever it might be don't you think that we can trace stuff back to larry miller and jerry sloan and and really you and 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 stockton malone basically forever
3: yeah, I think the the culture of the team and what the team is known for has always is is based in that. It's, it's that's the foundation of who the Utah Jazz are. It's those early years when, you know, Frank convinced us that that defense was more important than offense and trying to change the culture of the team to play aggressively and run on opportunity, and then. And then Jerry, and that sets a foundation. We start winning and be, you know, go from a, a doormat of the NBA to a, a team of respectability. And then Jerry coming in and saying, okay, now we're going to turn up the heat. Now we're going to take it to the next level. And I'm going to demand more from you guys every day. And, um, and then all those great years of, of playoff runs and going to the finals and everything else, yeah, it just kind of cemented that in. Is that, that's who the Jazz is. And I think all the you know, the, the, the teams that came after that, uh, I think uh, I have to live up to that standard. And I think that's what the fans are looking for. And, and you see it. I watch it in the stands, even, you know, with the team today. Uh, when great defensive plays happen, when guys grovel on the floor for the ball, when somebody makes a steal or a block shot, I means fans stand up. They give them a standing ovation. I'm like That's the effort they want to see. And all that is steeped back in the philosophy that was started back in the 80s.
2: Mark, hard time to come on the air, but uh, you shared a lot of uh, good stories, and we really appreciate your time. And uh, I know you were close with Jerry, so sorry for the loss here. Condolences, obviously. Well,
3: well, thank you very much, guys. He was a great man and sorely missed. And at the same time, again, I'm, I'm happy he's in a better place. Thanks, Mark. Okay, guys.
0: That's Mark Eaton. Coming up, coming up next, let you hear from Jerry Sloan's right-hand man, the man himself, Phil Johnson. Stay with us, 97.5, 1280 The
1: Zone.
2: dj pk and we are joined now by phil johnson longtime jazz assistant coach also former coach of the year in the nba and head coach with the kings and of course jerry's longtime tag team partner uh before we get to the some of the great memories first condolences phil because obviously you and jerry were very close
4: well thank you very much yeah we were we were uh, more than just coaches together we were very good friends and uh spent a lot of time together over the years and i've known him for 52 years so uh i met him in 1968 so it's been a long it's been a long haul you talk about coach
0: uh jerry sloan and and we just had call Malone. not want to disappoint him and you were around him how much did he bring out the best of people in terms of yeah i don't
4: want to disappoint this man because he's given everything he has well i think that's really important because he was committed to what he was doing and he was he's he was very good with people uh... you know everybody had this misconception about him is there's this rough tough guy but he was very actually very good with people and the way he treated people on and off the floor uh... and uh... he he was uh... what, what he did was he gave he gave everything he had and uh... and the players recognized that and he was very honest with them and so that's uh, really uh, that's really what it was all about. So
2: you met him in '68. You coached against him as a player because I was actually looking at some of that uh, video of 1975 playoff series. Uh, yep. And you were coaching against Dick Mata. Uh, yep. Was was Mata the one who kind of brought you together? Did you both know him? Well, How first,
4: you- well, well, see, I was I was Dick Mata's assistant at Weber State, and mm-hmm. Dick got the head coaching job at at Chicago. And uh, he didn't have an assistant coach. And so uh, when he started training camp and rookie camp and training camp, uh, I went back and it was actually his assistant. So I coached the team. So that's when I meet, met Jerry. I was really, really an assistant coach uh, with the Bulls while I was head coach at, uh, with Weaver State because it would happen in the fall. And I'd just go back for a couple of weeks uh, and help him with training camp. And so that's when I met Jerry.
0: I had the opportunity to go with you guys down there to Mexico for a couple of times and being around him. You talk about how he treated people. He was a big time celebrity, but you're absolutely right. And I'm not sure people realized how funny he was and how conversational <laughs> he was.
4: Could you amplify that a little bit? Yeah, well, he just had he was just so he was so country. Uh, we we had a relationship that was because our backgrounds were so similar. I grew up in southern Idaho and he grew up in southern Illinois and our backgrounds were very similar and we were just uh, kind of country and uh that's why we hit it off so well and and he had a lot of uh, old homespun uh, stories to tell and this and that about growing up and and uh he he had a, a great sense of humor. I think of all the things I miss from co- uh, from being around uh, was not is not the coaching day to day of coaching players, it was being around the coaches, and how much we enjoyed talking and exchanging stories, and and having a uh, you know uh, uh, conversations about what happened to us and things that happen, and it was always good. And he was very good at that. He was uh, he was very good to people, and he was uh, he was always open to talk to them.
2: McLeansboro, Illinois, although uh, reading up on Jerry, who was actually from uh, 16 miles outside of McLeansboro, a little place called Gobbler's Knob, and he was one of 10 kids. His dad passed away when he was four. Uh, as he said in his Hall of Fame speech, it was a one-room schoolhouse, and the teacher was the basketball coach. Can you describe, how often did you go back with him to that area,
4: and can you describe what it was like and how it formed him? Yeah, well, I spent a lot of time, when I was his assistant coach in Chicago, I actually went down and, and uh, helped him put in his crops, uh, driving tractors and, and uh, putting, putting his crop in uh, went on his farm in southern Illinois. I've been to it where he grew up several times. Yeah, he talked, he talked a lot about uh, what the one-room screw house, her schoolroom and the teacher and so forth, and that on his first teams, the, the, they didn't have enough boys to play, so the girls played on the boys' team. So he, he, uh, that was an interesting thing. But we, we talked a lot about that. Yeah, I spent a lot of time back there. I know, I know the area very well. I haven't been there back there for a while, but, but uh, I, I spent a lot of time there.
0: Also, Coach, in trying to explain how Jerry Sloan was an ambassador for the NBA, I think is so understated, and it's not appreciated, because you got some of these coaches that don't want to be bothered, and they give uh, brief answers and whatnot. Jerry Sloan sold the NBA at all times in his
4: interviews, never ducked anything. Could you amplify that, too? Well, that was the thing about him. See, he was the, uh, called the original bull when he went to Chicago. He was the first player picked in the expansion draft. Johnny Kerr had played with him in Baltimore, and Johnny Kerr became the head coach of the expansion Chicago Bulls. And the first player he picked was Jerry Sloan. And Jerry went to Chicago, and here's a, here's a country boy from southern Illinois, and he would spend time with the press. The press loved him because he, win or lose, he would he would talk to them, and explain what happened during the game, and so really had such a great reputation with the press, and that carried over into the, with the people. So the people uh, really appreciated him because of his openness and the way he talked, and so many players of that day, if, if, if you lost, several of them would just go in the shower and wouldn't talk to the press. Well, see, he was, yeah. he was very open and, and did a good job with that.
2: Jerry was a two-time All-Star with the Bulls. The one year in Baltimore you mentioned, then 10 years with the Bulls. Now, people here know him as a coach, but compare Jerry maybe to some other players we might be familiar with to kind of tell us you know, who he was over his 11-year career.
4: Well, I don't compare him to anyone because he's unique, and he, is, uh, he was just very competitive. He always said he didn't have any talent, and it was all by effort. Of course he had talent. He had uh, – He had tremendous instincts and uh, tremendous uh, drive and toughness. One of the best defenders I ever saw play basketball Uh, and probably the greatest offensive rebounder I've ever seen from the guard position. He was just relentless. He had great hands, uh, great vision. Uh, Defensively, he uh, he was just unbelievable. And offensively, he was uh, he was somewhat of a streak shooter. He was he was he was really utilized the offense uh, a great deal. He would come off the screens, get open using the offense. And that's where when Dick Mata came to coach them, he he instigated and uh, installed an offense that was involved with setting screens and first of all, he would set good screens and second of all, he would come off screens very well. And so he utilized that offensively. And so he was just a really good basketball player, and he, he could dominate players defensively. There are several players that didn't want to see him coming because he was something else defensively.
0: I think one of the amazing things and there's we can we can have you on the phone here for the next 10 hours and talk about all the amazing things but to me one of the amazing things is when he was coaching the Jazz all those years how he took guys who were role players put them in positions to succeed to the point where they went other places they weren't nearly as effective and I have to obviously include you in that list because you were right there explain how you guys were able to take guys who really didn't have a whole lot of value to other teams in the league but when they were with them the Jazz, had a ton of value.
4: Well, you know, we had really good players here at the time, and so they, they, uh, a lot wasn't expected of several of those guys you're talking about. And so you could utilize what they could do because you didn't need a, an all-around great player because you had some very, you had a couple of really good basketball players in John and Carl, obviously. And so that, that's really part of it is utilizing the, the specific skill that they, they might have and that helps your team, and so that's that's, that's the, you recognize that and try to utilize that with your team, and so that's what happened with several guys.
2: A lot of Jazz fans uh, can see Jerry right now in their mind. And if you're just joining us, Jerry Sloan just passed away this morning at the age of 78. And Phil Johnson's joining us, his long, long longtime tag team partner. And a lot of Jazz fans can close their eyes and see Jerry just going off on referees or players. But he had a side of him that was really a softer side. And I talked to uh, the longtime NBA coaches as they came through this year, gathering their thoughts on Jerry and Rick Carlisle. I mean, now he's won the championship at the Mavericks and he's kind of a made guy in Dallas. But he got really reflective and told this story about how Jerry basically opened a training camp to him when he'd gotten fired and he was between jobs. And I kind of thought that was Jerry going back on his Bulls experience. He had to be a little lost when the Bulls uh, let him go as head coach. Can you talk a little bit about the, the softer side and the way he would look out for someone in a situation the way Rick was?
4: Yeah, well, I, you know, I just, I, I just knew... I knew all sides of him, and uh, the way he treated people, uh, he would, uh, how he treated the ushers at, at the, with the jazz, or the custodians, or, or people that uh, a lot of times uh, celebrities just walk by. But uh, he was very open to talk to everyone. Uh, we, we just lost a, 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 an usher that used to sit behind our bench. He was named Paul. And he sat behind the bench, and I talked to him several times, and he just passed away not long ago. And uh, how, how Jerry treated him and how he treated uh, the people involved, that's just how he was. He was very considerate of other people, and he uh, definitely had a soft side. And, uh, uh, but uh, the, the thing people saw was how he, he, he was competitive during the game. Well, rarely did he get on players that much, honestly. I mean, he was. Uh, I mean, yeah, he'd get in some players sometimes, but the ninety uh, percent of the time, there was it was uh, very talking to them, trying to get them to do what was necessary and so forth. So, really, there's uh, every person has all sides to them, obviously, but he was he was very good with that. So, anyway,
0: when you see uh, you've been around professional sports for so long, and we hear that. You know, players or teams take on the characteristics of a coach. Is there a better example than the Jazz taking on the characteristics of Jerry Sloan?
4: No, that's about the way it was. <laughs> the team, uh, you know, defensively, uh, he he spent a lot of time defensively and aggressiveness, trying to come play hard. That came from the top as well, Larry Miller, uh, and that that's why he always appreciated Jerry so much. Is very they're very similar with their their tenacity and competitiveness. And so that's what what Larry Miller loved about Jerry Sloan. And so that was what this this franchise was built on. And it wasn't just Jerry. It was was from top to bottom as far as, you know, and and that's what it exemplified. And that's what uh, we were kind of proud of.
2: Phil Johnson joining us here, Longtime Jazz assistant coach. What is it about Jerry, because you you were an accomplished head coach, you were the NBA coach of the year, and you coached playoff teams. What was it about Jerry that made you not just want to say, okay, I'm going to be an assistant coach and work for this guy, but never go back down the road of being a head coach again?
4: Well, uh, you know, there was a commitment uh, by both of us. Uh, We were very loyal to each other. He knew and trusted me he knew I was going to, uh, whatever I had on my mind, I was going to tell him. I was not going to go behind his back and try to, to, to sway someone else by how much I knew talking to someone else. If I had something, I was going to talk to him about it. And he was the same way with me. So we had a, a unbelievable relationship from that standpoint. And we just got along. Uh, we, we became really good friends over the years, more than just coaches and just really good friends. And, uh, so that's uh, that's the part that, uh, that that I'm that I'm going to miss is that relationship. Of course, over the last since we quit coaching, I obviously didn't have as much time with him, and so uh, you know we didn't spend nearly as much time together. Uh, but uh, the Jerry we knew, uh, trying to left us uh, several several months ago actually because he just wasn't the same uh, and so forth. But uh, when I would go talk to him, he could remember things and so forth. The last time I was able to see him a couple of days ago, he was unresponsive as far as seeing me and uh, knowing I was there, uh, but uh, but I got a chance to see him before he passed away.
0: How did you know when, oop, I better get up off this bench and go save Jerry because he's in trouble.
4: Uh, I had an instinct about it. <laughs> I kind of knew him, <laughs> and I really didn't want to take over the team at that point in the game, you know. So uh, I, I really would, would rather have him be there. So uh, yeah, it was uh, it was part of the job, and that's what a lot of people remember me for. But uh, I did a little bit more than that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <Yeah>, sure, certainly. <laughs>
2: You know, I always thought that one thing, uh, you know, there's so many good memories of Jerry that come uh, flooding back. But his Hall of Fame speech, you know, that just by its nature, the Hall of Fame, right, that crowd's going to be diverse. It's going to be white. It's going to be black. It's going to be city. It's going to be country. It's going to be young. It's going to be old. It's going to be people who grew up in the U.S., but it's going to be people who grew up all over the world. And I thought as Jerry told his story, on the one hand, you know, people knew him in the finals and the Bulls and all that, but people also didn't know him because he was away in Salt Lake City. And I thought he really held the room that night. It got very quiet in there as people kind of absorbed, you know, who is this guy and how did he, he get there? Yeah. I, don't, I don't think we think of Jerry as a public speaker, but, man, he really yeah. owned the room that night.
4: Yeah, he, he, had, uh, he had a couple of great mentors. His, his college coach, Eric McCutcheon, and he gave him a huge amount of credit, and Dick Mata. He patterned the way he coached a great deal after, uh, after playing with Dick and really respected him, and so, yeah, he was, uh, a lot of people didn't think he was, a, you know, I mean, they didn't realize that he was a very good speaker, and he, that, that day was very, he gave a lot of credit to a lot of people, and that was what was great about it.
0: When, when you're coaching, you come across people from all walks of uh, backgrounds, and as you get older, the age gap, I mean, the players basically age-wise stay the same, but you don't. You age. How was he able to keep that connection as the players remained basically in their 20s and early 30s, and he
4: grew older? Well, that's a, that's a difficult thing to do, and you have to adjust your game and the way you coach a little bit as time goes on but he really didn't change a lot. They knew that coming in that we were going to be kind of old school. And uh but he was he was very good with young players. Uh he gave them great advice on on how to uh, take care of themselves and get ready to play, that type of thing. He was very good with young players. And so he just developed over the years and his coaching just just uh, it it uh, changed as 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 the times changed a little bit, but his basic his basic uh Philosophy stayed the same
2: uh, Phil, anything else you want to tell us about Jerry? you got you got a gazillion memories and you got more stories than that probably, but is uh, anything you want to share about Jerry?
4: Well, I just uh, people should know that uh, he, he uh, lived a good life, had a good life, uh, you know, and uh, had uh, came from a very tough background. He lost his, his his father when he was about four years old, and never knew his dad. So his bro- older brothers and his mother basically raised him, and and how he he achieved what he achieved uh, by uh, going and having some tough times and and getting fired a couple of times and this and that and uh, so it was uh, it just the way he uh, he achieved the things he did and uh, I have great memories and uh, I'll live with those the rest of my life.
2: Was it the, uh, the the passing of his father when he was four was obviously huge, but also. Um taking the job at his alma mater at Evansville and then five days later walking away from it and then to have that tragic plane crash kill the whole team of the coaching staff those two things is that one of the reasons he kind of lived in the moment and uh and savored all those relationships
4: yeah he talked actually talked to me quite a bit about that how how uh what happened in his life that that from that standpoint uh But uh, yeah, I I knew it was it was it was known while he was playing that he was going to end up being the head coach at Evansville, so it was not a surprise when he got the job. But it was a surprise when he resigned. He he just didn't feel comfortable with it, and he ended up taking an assistant job with the the, with the Bulls. But he just didn't feel comfortable, and so he resigned. And you're right, uh, the team uh, got in a, a plane crash, and so. He talked about that quite a bit and how, uh, how life, uh, you know, gives you different uh, what happens, you know. So it's, 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 uh, it's an amazing thing in his life. Well, Phil,
2: we appreciate a few minutes. Sorry for your loss because we know how close you were with uh, Jerry. But uh, you two provided jazz fans with a lot of awesome memories. And uh, I know people are savoring them right now. Okay. Thanks a lot. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Phil. Phil Johnson, longtime Jazz assistant coach, head coach of the Kings, and a former NBA coach of the year. And, of course, uh, Jerry Sloan's longtime tag team partner. They were pretty much inseparable. Coach 1A and 1B right there. And uh, even even to the point that you, you went to Mexico with not one of them, but both of them because that's how they rolled.
0: <laughs> yeah, Absolutely, yeah. And we got off that plane and a van came up. And both of their wives, and for Phil Johnson and Tammy, for Jerry Sloan, and the four of them got in. And then the driver looks at me and my wife, and my daughter was actually with us at the time too. They said, "Get in!" And I'm like, "What? <laughs> no, get in. We're going to take you too. There's room for you. You're, I was told you're supposed to go." And I go.
1: You got to be kidding me. I don't belong in
0: that van. <laughs> there's, 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 I mean, I'm still looking. I'm a janitor's son, man. There must and have been a mistake. it. I got in that van and I rode. I, I rode with Jerry Sloan and Phil Johnson. And that was a that was highlight of my, one of the highlights of my life. All right, that's Phil Johnson. Coming up next, we will get to what's trending, all the stuff that's going on in the world of sports. Stay with us. 97.5, 1280, the zone.